Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. My name is Stephanie Vlakis, and I'm an expert certified fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist, a multiple award-winning virtual fertility and pregnancy nutrition clinic serving thousands from around the world, and of course, the host of this pod, Fertility Friendly Food. This podcast is dedicated to all things health and nutrition in the world of fertility, reproductive health, and pregnancy. Each week, I bring you practical snack-sized episodes to help improve your lifestyle on your trying-to-conceive journey, alongside guest expert interviews to help inspire you to learn and grow whilst you grow your family. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode, I am talking about inflammatory bowel disease or IBD, which is typically consisting of two main forms of diagnoses, namely Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. However, there are other forms of IBD like lymphocytic colitis and a number of other types of inflammatory bowel conditions. So, but for the sake of today's episode, I'm going to be focusing on Crohn's and UC and the degree in which these conditions may impact on fertility. So just before we do, let's answer a question from our community. Don't forget, you can always submit a question to the podcast by filling in the 30-second question form available in the show notes for you. We absolutely love receiving them. Now, one of the questions this week is about sugar cravings. And this question is about, I know I should be minimizing my intake of higher sugar foods, but sometimes my cravings really do get better of me. And I do feel as though this may be impacting my overall diet and lifestyle when it comes to fertility. What can I do? This is a common question and one that lands in my inbox quite frequently. And what's important to note about cravings is that they do not represent a deficiency or a physiological need for something. I often hear people saying, oh, I'm really craving chips. It must mean I need more salt in my diet. But it's not really how cravings work. There's no data to suggest that that's the case. Now, we do know a few things, however, about cravings, which is typically there's a few main reasons that drive cravings. And one of them is under eating. Now, particularly if you are a person who says they don't like eating breakfast or you're not hungry in the morning, you're not eating a balanced breakfast, then I do find that people that don't eat a balanced breakfast are far more likely to experience sugar cravings, particularly later in the day, in the afternoon and in the evening. The second reason is typically these cravings are food-based rewards for the day. So, you know, there's nothing like getting on the couch after a long day, you finished cooking dinner, you're finally ready to relax. And what would just help that relaxation a little bit more? Some chocolate or some ice cream because, you know, you survived a hard day and we're using that food as a reward for whatever adulting that needs to be done. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes a habit, we do find that when you don't have it or you try not to have it, 
then you will crave it because it's become part of your routine. And then you've kind of got this mouth hunger that can sometimes occur after a meal where, you know, you've eaten a satisfying meal, you feel good, but you just feel like you need something sweet or something to top it off, but your tummy isn't really hungry. So typically there we can navigate this with a mixture of some of the food that you would like, plus some other elements of food. So some fruit or some nuts or something along those lines, cheese, for example, to help balance out that snack a little bit better. So, and then of course, we've also got emotional eating and some medical conditions that increase your chances of experiencing sugar cravings. So conditions like insulin resistance and PCOS, for example. So always my first stop with sugar cravings is to look at the whole day, balance things out first, allow yourself permission to enjoy those foods and don't try and fight it. But at the same time, you will find that if you increase your focus on the other parts of your day and also focus on your emotional well-being and managing that in other ways that aren't related to food, that for many people, these cravings start to fade and improve. So I hope that's helpful for you. Now, are you currently trying to conceive or on a fertility journey? If so, you can feel like there are 101 things you could or should be doing when it comes to your preconception or fertility health. It's easy to get overwhelmed really quickly. This is exactly why I created our preconception lifestyle checklist. It's one page for you and one page for your partner categorized into supplements, diet, lifestyle and environment focusing on the low-hanging fruit that is simple but effective strategies proven to help boost your health and well-being for fertility and for a healthy pregnancy too. Over 5,000 future parents have downloaded it already. Do you want your free copy? Well, you can head to the link in the show notes now to swipe your free copy of the Preconception Lifestyle Checklist. Now onto today's episode. So back to today's episode, does IBD impact your fertility? If so, how and how can nutrition help? Well, IBD is a collective term that refers to conditions such as ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. Both of these conditions are inflammatory and are understood to be autoimmune, which we'll get to more in a second. But with ulcerative colitis, it does affect mainly the large intestine or the bowel, and it typically only affects the surface mucosal inner layer of the intestine. Crohn's disease, however, can impact anywhere along the digestive tract, from the mouth to the rectum. Oh yes, I said rectum, and can impact all layers of the gastrointestinal walls, from mucosal down deeper into the muscle and other forms of tissue in the gastrointestinal tract. So some symptoms of IBD can include unintentional weight loss, very frequent bowel motions that are often very loose, blood in the stools, nutritional deficiencies such as iron, B12 and vitamin D deficiency, poor appetite, fever, poor energy levels and fatigue. If you have any of these symptoms, please see your doctor to discuss a formal diagnosis. These conditions are both driven by an abnormality in the immune system and generally classed as an autoimmune disease. Management of IBD typically includes steroid treatments, sometimes immune therapies with drugs that are classed as biologics, and in some cases, surgery to remove severely damaged parts of the gastrointestinal tract, 
For others, management may be less intensive and dietary management plays a big role too and is typically quite individualised dependent on the location, duration and severity of the condition. Both of these conditions are generally understood to have two main phases, an active phase, which is a period of high symptoms, increased inflammation, so we're going to see higher inflammatory markers on blood work and in the stool, and management typically needs to be intensified and remitted phases. So symptoms are far quieter, inflammation tends to drop, and management can be a little less intense, typically. Let's start off with some good news first. If your IBD is managed and under control, and there's no history of pelvic surgery, particularly in women, fertility rates are found to be the same as the general population. Experts do recommend that couples who haven't yet completed their families do work with their doctor around the optimal timing of any surgery to avoid increasing the risk of infertility. Interestingly, a study done on women with IBD and their views of fertility and pregnancy with this condition showed some interesting statistics. One study investigated the general attitudes of women with IBD about fertility, drug use, childbirth and pregnancy. The results of the study showed that 36% of patients believe that all drugs that are used for IBD are harmful to the fetus, 46% worried about possible infertility, and 75% were worried about genetic transmission of IBD to their baby. Super interesting statistics there, and I think it highlights the importance of working with your team and certainly the individualized nature and management of this condition can have a varying degree on your fertility. But particularly interesting was that genetic transmission of disease. And I think we would probably see some similar statistics amongst women with other types of conditions that may have a genetic or heritable component, such as endometriosis, for example. I do hear a lot in my clinic, a lot of fear about women who are pregnant with girls, particularly developing endometriosis as well. So I think that's a really interesting study and finding. What kind of impact can IBD have on fertility? All right, let's break this down. So inflammation, of course, in the body and particularly in the pelvis can negatively impact equality, potentially due to higher reactive oxidative species or ROS in the pelvic cavity. We do know for other conditions such as endometriosis and adenomyosis, where we have higher ROS, that this can negatively impact the eggs in the ovaries. So we can understand that a similar kind of mechanism may be occurring with IBD. Scar tissues and adhesions from surgery. Now, this may not apply to everyone, but if you have had surgery on your small or large intestine and adhesions and scar tissue formed, this can impact the anatomy of your uterus and ovaries and fallopian tubes, which can flow onto a potential impact on your fertility. Nutrient malabsorption and increased risk of deficiencies, namely iron, calcium, vitamin D and folate. When you are actively unwell or in an active phase of IBD, depending where the main location of your disease is, you may be at a significantly increased risk of nutrient deficiencies. Like I said, iron, calcium, vitamin D and folate, which are absorbed in the small intestine. And if you're chronically running to the loo with watery diarrhea, you may also be losing excess amounts of water-soluble vitamins like B vitamins and vitamin C. So this should be accounted for in a nutritional assessment with a dietitian. 
Another way is that if there has been surgical removal of certain parts of the bowel responsible for absorption, we can get some malabsorption there as well, like similar to what we see in some cases of bariatric surgery. Medications and their side effects, namely steroids, one of the biggest ones. So some medications that are used for IBD may not be considered safe to conceive or be pregnant with, and that's a highly individualised conversation with your medical team. And you can always call in New South Wales, at least Mother Safe, for medication safety advice. But it is why it is so important to fill in your team well before you start trying to conceive to make sure that you're taking everything that is safe or to transition to new options or ensure that your management is well looked after during this time. Now, others do manage inflammation with steroids, which are very commonly used for IBD, but also in a number of other inflammatory conditions, which can impact your appetite. So the steroids are known to kind of give you a bit of the munchies and can lead to rapid weight gain. And in cases of long-term steroid use, there is an associated increased risk of developing dysregulated blood sugars and even steroid-induced diabetes. Body weight status and ovulation. Now, everybody's body weight changes are unique with IBD. However, it is pretty common to rapidly lose weight due to malabsorption and poor appetite and, of course, high losses when actively unwell. And it can be quite challenging to regain the weight even when the IBD symptoms are quieter and you're in a remitted phase. As I've spoken about before on the podcast, sufficient body fat stores are key to allow ovulation to regularly occur, which is a key event when it comes to conception. Now, certainly you can overcome this with further fertility interventions, but if we're talking about optimizing unassisted conception, ovulation must occur to get pregnant. So if you are one of those people that's struggling with gaining weight with IBD, then a dietitian is going to be your best friend on your preconception path. Active IBD may also negatively impact sperm counts. Yep, it's more than just women who are affected by IBD when it comes to fertility. But once the disease has remitted, this does actually normalize. And the beauty of sperm is that we do get this regeneration every 74 days or so. There is this opportunity to potentially recover if the remitted phase lasts a good enough amount of time. Now, poor nutritional status is crucial and big factor when it comes to sperm health in men with IBD. So this needs to be worked on thoroughly and managed well in both active and remitted states with a dietitian. Now we've talked in depth in the past about male fertility and nutrition. So I'll link to those episodes below for you. So how can nutrition and a dietitian help if you have IBD and you're trying to conceive? So the first thing is that we typically look at correcting nutrient losses with diet and or a tailored supplementation plan. We use nutrition, your bowel history, any surgical information, and of course, blood work. Typically, people with IBD will require significantly more of some key micronutrients for preconception and the first trimester of pregnancy, namely folic acid, to overcome the losses and potential malabsorptive issues. We also need to factor in optimizing body fat levels to help support regular menstruation and ovulation, which ultimately is the key to getting pregnant. 
No ovulation means no potential chance to conceive each month. So a dietitian can help you plan your week to boost your total caloric intake and working through some of the challenges that can come if you don't have the best appetite with achieving weight gain. Designing a diet for active and remission phases. So we can tweak your diet plan around when you're most symptomatic versus not so much to help you manage your symptoms and maintain as healthy as possible bowel function and try to extend those remitted phases as long as possible. We can also help you navigate any personal food intolerances as people with IBD are really likely to experience some food sensitivities, especially during an active flare-up. The most common one is typically lactose, sometimes due to inflammation in the small intestinal lining. However, many people with IBD may also experience some FODMAP sensitivities similar to those with irritable bowel syndrome. So sometimes it is worthwhile exploring this further with a dietitian, particularly if they persist into your remitted phase. Incorporating anti-inflammatory nutrition principles to protect those eggs and sperm, those precious cells that are going to become your future baby and help them be protected from any kind of inflammation that may occur when you're actively unwell or even just a baseline where we have higher rates of inflammation. Whilst there is no single best research diet that has proven to be effective to minimize inflammation amongst those with IBD, we do know that for fertility, a diet rich in antioxidants and minimizing pro-inflammatory food components like saturated fats, trans fats, alcohol, and excess added sugars is so important. So adopting these principles certainly won't hurt. Now, in summary, people with IBD should aim to plan their pregnancies with their medical and treatment team, which should ideally include their GP, a gastroenterologist, and a dietitian to ensure optimal timing, nutritional status, and thorough evaluation of medication safety occurs prior to trying to conceive. People with IBD in general are not more at risk of infertility than others, perhaps with the exception of those who have undergone extensive surgery due to the presence of scar tissue and adhesions which can distort the uterine anatomy as well. Whilst a multidisciplinary approach is absolutely essential, a dietitian who can understand both fertility and the requirements of IBD is key to designing a bespoke prenatal supplement regime to account for potential nutrient losses, malabsorption based on your history and blood work, and incorporate an anti-inflammatory eating approach for your preconception health is key. I also wanted to note that it's also important to exclude other potential causes to a delay to conception if you do have IBD and are experiencing a delay to conceiving, including a sperm health review, other autoimmune conditions, endometriosis, PCOS, thyroid dysfunction, and more. So if you have been trying to conceive for 12 months or more and you're aged under 35 as a woman, then it's time to seek a fertility doctor's advice. And for those aged 35 or above, six months of trying to conceive, it's time to get some help. So remember, if you are trying to conceive or on a fertility journey, please don't forget to swipe your free copy of the Preconception Lifestyle Checklist, a page for you, a page for your partner broken down into supplements, diet, lifestyle, and environment. And these simple, effective research strategies have been utilized by over 5,000 hopeful parents already. So grab your free copy. The link is in the show notes to swipe your free Ultimate Preconception Lifestyle Checklist designed by yours truly. 
Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe, follow on your favorite podcast streaming platform, the one that you're listening to now. Go and navigate to that screen, hit follow, and don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Trust me, this is the single biggest thing that you can give back to us on. It shoots us up the charts so quickly and effectively. And what does that mean? It means more listeners, more listeners who are getting accurate information about their fertility health. I mean... If you love this podcast, you know you want other people to love it too and to get this information for free in their ear holes every week. So please take a moment, drop us a review and a rating. And don't forget to share it with someone who would find it useful too. Send it to your friend with IBD. That would be super helpful. Until next time, everyone. Bye. Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast, acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connections to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to First Nation cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all First Nations people tuning in today. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Aura Nation.